in a small group before. And some of you have wondered and maybe even worried about this, this call to get into a small group. Uh, you know, this Western culture, it, it really idolizes independence. In, in the States, they have the proclamation of independence. You've heard of it. And you know what? This, this idea, this, this attitude of independence has really and truly saturated that culture. And how many know that Canada really is, uh, for all intents and purposes, one of the northern states of the United States of America? We don't like to admit that, but basically anything that happens there happens here. We watch the same television as them. We, uh, we, we basically do whatever they do. Uh, we like to say that we're different, but we're not really that different. We might be a little bit politer, eh? Uh, but that's about it. So this idea of independence... This is something that I'm hoping each and every one of us will recognize today is, uh, is not a good thing. Well, what God calls us to is something called interdependence, which is really quite different because it's the idea that you and I need each other. We depend on one another. Now, back a few months ago, we talked about the seven habits. Some of you will still remember them. And one of those seven habits was being a small group. Now, it's critical that you understand the importance of being in a small group. We discussed, what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? A lot of people, you know, they go to church, they say, I go to church. They'll say, I'm a Christian. But really, when it comes right down to it, they really don't know what that means. And so that's why we talked about these seven habits, making it clear what it is that you do if you are, in fact, a follower of Jesus Christ. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on one of those seven habits, it's actually the fourth in the list of seven habits, and it's all about being in a small group. And here's what I can tell you today, is that once you get into a small group, and once you've learned to relax, once you've learned to let your, let your guard down and take the mask off, I can tell you there's nothing more liberating, more joyful, more um, uh, invigorating than being a part of a group of people who really love you and care about you. In fact, here's what you need to understand. If you're going to truly be a Christ follower, you need to understand that God wants you to be in a small group. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, what do we discover? We discover that the brand new early believers, the very first thing that they did was after being in the temple, uh, they would go and, and fellowship in small groups, in homes. That's what they did. And what you and I need to understand is that we have got to do what God tells us to do, what God knows is best for us. And what God knows that we need more than anything is we need to be in a small group. So look at this passage of Scripture from Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 5. And it says this, Just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's body. We, all, we are all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete. For we each have different work to do. So we belong to each other, and each needs all the others. This is a really a radical, it's a revolutionary teaching. Because throughout history, what do we see? We see people trying to function on their own, in their own strength. There was a day, some, some millennia back, when people started recognizing the power of coming together. And it was the formation of culture, of societies. And we recognize that when people came together, 
But people chose to live together and to function together and to operate together. That's when their levels of prosperity increased, their safety increased, they, uh, their, um, their health increased. Everything became better because they came together. And if you are, have done any studies in sociology, you know that this is one of the things that they teach, the, the importance, the power of people coming together and being one. Well, folks, we, we understand the importance of it. We understand the power of coming together, and we do it more out of necessity than, than through the understanding that it will be life-transforming for us. So Jesus Christ teaches us a whole new way of living. He teaches us the importance of of loving each other, of functioning together, of learning how to get along with one another, because by nature we don't. The only reason that these ancient societies were formed is because they recognized that people really were better together. But now Jesus takes it up to another level, and he says, not only is it just expedient, not only is it just good economic sense to come together, but Jesus takes it a step further and says, look it, It's not just good economically, but it's going to be good for you spiritually, emotionally, mentally. You've heard me talk about Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of need. And we said the third third strata of those uh, needs was the need to belong. Well, here's the thing, folks. This is what Christianity is all about. It's all about belonging. You don't have to go through life alone. The idea, folks, that we belong to each other and that we need each other is really a revolutionary idea. And I can tell you this, being a Christian for over 40 years, being in the ministry for 30 years, I have discovered and learned the joy of, of functioning within the church family. Now, you and I both know, or we all know, that, that we're talking about two kinds of families. We're talking about the earthly family, the family that you were born with, the one that you were stuck with. Hello. And, you know, it may have this, this, this dysfunction moments and times when you don't get along that well and you fight. Uh, you think to yourself, why do I even bother with my family? Uh, well, folks, it's, um, it's a way of developing character in us. But the nice thing is this, folks, is that there is another family. It's called the, the family of God. And in this family of God, uh, there are times when, it, when there is dysfunction. But here's what we're aiming for. We're aiming for high functionality. And the only way that we can truly function at our very best is if we learn how to love one another, to live with each other, to care for each other. If we learn how to do life together. So, uh, did anybody notice that there was some snow falling today? Gloria dropped me off at 7.30. I heard that no. At 7.30 this morning, Gloria dropped me off, and um, I get a phone call at 20, 20 to 8. So 7.30, she dropped me out. 20.8, I get a phone call from her. Uh, and I said, you're stuck, aren't you? <laughs> In the parking lot. So she's been on the parking lot trying to get the thing unstuck all alone. So I came out there and I tried for a while. And then finally I said, you, be- you better call-, call Jesse. So here's the thing. You know, a tiny single snowflake is really quite fragile, isn't it? You, if it falls in your hand, if it, catch it on your finger, it melts and it's gone. It's no problem, Right? But what happens when there are billions and trillions and quadrillions of snowflakes? It stops traffic. That snowflake that was so fragile all on its own, you know, you could laugh at it. But when there's trillions of them, folks, it stops traffic. It gets my van stuck. 
it does ter- terrible damage. It causes people to stay home from church. You know what I'm saying? Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart now. Because what you need to understand is that alone, you're fragile, you're weak, but together, you're a powerful force in this world. A powerful force that gains strength from each other and becomes very powerful in making a difference in this world. These small groups that we are trying to get everybody involved in uh, really will be transformational if you, if you decide that you really want to get into this. Now, there's, there's three ways that we measure the success of a small group. And really, we can sum it up in three words. Is there connection? Are people caring for each other? And is there change in the people that go to those small groups? I'm going to talk to you about that this morning. The three C's that measure whether or not we're achieving what it is that we want to achieve. Let's talk about connection for just a moment. Everybody understands that from this passage of Scripture that we belong to each other. That's what Paul says. So we belong to each other and each needs all the others. Anybody see uh, The Lone Ranger with Johnny Depp? Anybody watch the, jo- the Lone Ranger when they were a child? Those who put their hands up, you know that you're admitting that you're old. When I watched The Lone Ranger, it was in black and white on TV. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And The Lone Ranger was this hero that uh, you know, did great, great exploits, bringing justice to, to the Wild West. But did you notice that even The Lone Ranger wasn't alone? He had a sidekick. What was his name? Oh, you know this. You know all about this. Tonto. Tonto Depp. What we recognize that the Lone Ranger was absolutely useless without his so-called sidekick. Well, can I just tell you this today? Is that when you are connected with somebody else, it is a game changer for your personal life. Has anybody ever heard of Sherlock Holmes? What you don't hear about is you don't hear about his sidekick. What was his name? Ah, Watson, yes. And you know what? If you go through literature, you'll find that you, know, you, you see these lone rangers, these guys that are going it on their own. And you discover that, in fact, they're strongest when there's somebody else that they're connected to. Same thing goes for you. You're stronger when you're connected with somebody else, with others. Interestingly, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. There's something very powerful that happens when two believers get together. The Bible tells us that Jesus shows up, not physically, but definitely spiritually. There's a sense of his presence. What is this that we feel when we come together? Because I have people say, Pastor Alan, you know, when I came to your church, you know, it was really quite cool. I, I sensed something in the place. I felt I felt something. And they don't really know how to articulate it. And they'll say, well, I felt like a warmth in the place. Uh, I can tell you what they felt. They felt what we call love. In fact, Jesus says that the world will know that we are his followers, that we are his disciples by our what? By our love for each other. That's what people feel when they come through these doors. They feel there's something really cool about this place. They can't put their finger on it, but they sense there's something special. And what it is, plain and simple, is the presence of God as expressed through our love for each other. Now, this 
this connection that we're talking about, if you go to the original language, the New Testament was written in Greek, if you didn't know that. If you go to the original language, you'll find that there's a really unique word. It's called, it's, it's koinonia. Have you ever heard that term before? Now, the interesting thing about this word koinonia is that uh, there's no really good English translation of it. In fact, we need about five or six or ten words to help us fully understand the concept. But when we read about the disciples, when, or the early believers, when they first got saved, the Bible says that they met together in small homes, or in, in homes, it's small homes, small groups in homes, and they experienced this koinonia, this, this fellowship. And it's interesting to see the way different Bibles translate that word. Sometimes you'll see it as fellowship, sometimes you'll see it as communion, uh, sometimes you'll see it as a group participation. And here's the thing about that word koinonia. It actually means communion. It means being part of one another. It means sharing together. It means fellowship. Um, it means uh, we are unified. Now, that is exactly what needs to happen when you become part of a small group. You experience this koinonia, this fellowship this participation together, this sharing together, this unity, this communion. In fact, that's why we're going to be having communion this morning, to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. Did you know that communion is a celebration of the body of Christ? And a lot of people think, and, and you know, I don't know what your, what your background is or what your religious tradition was, But I can tell you, if you read through the New Testament, you'll discover that the celebration of the blood and the body of Christ, communion, is actually a celebration of his church and the fact that he is the common denominator. I look out across this group this morning, I see people from from Korea, from, uh, from different parts of Asia, the Philippines. I see people who come from Europe. And here we are all together, loving each other, caring for each other. Some of us, we don't know each other's names, but we, we definitely sense that we love each other. What's the common denominator? What brings us all together? And the answer is very simple. It's Jesus. And it's what Jesus did for us at the cross that makes it possible for us to become part of this family. Again, this is something that you need to read in, the, in your New Testament. So when you and I take communion together, what we're doing is we're celebrating the fact that we now belong to this eternal family, this family of God. And you belong to a family where you are loved unconditionally. One of the things that you've heard me say many, many times is when you come to this church, we're not going to condemn you. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to put you down. We're not going to make you feel stupid or small or like you don't know anything. We're not going to make you feel like you're unspiritual or unholy. What we're going to do is we're going to embrace you and we're going to love you. And what we're going to try to do further is we're going to try to help you get connected so that you begin to experience the loving connection, the loving fellowship that God wants you to have. This is not just Pastor Allen's sort of strategy to to make the church stick together. That's not it at all. What we're talking about is actually God's command. You need to come together. You need to become one. And you need to be connected. So, when we take communion in just a while, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be celebrating the body and the, Christ, and the, the, body and the blood of the Lord, which made it possible for us to become family. So, look at the person beside you and just say, hi, brother, or if it's a girl, say, hi, sister. Go ahead, try that. <laughs> I hope none of you were confused. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, again, the Apostle Paul tells the believers in Rome that we are we're all different, and we belong to each other, and we need each other. Did you know that? Each of us is different. Each of us is very different. Yes. <laughs> and some are more different than others. <laughs> but we need each other. We love each other. We connected to each other. We can't live without one another. So con- when you connect, folks, this is the purest and the most holy and the most beautiful expression of who God is. That connection, folks, is lived out before the world as authentic community, as authentic love, what every human being craves. And I'm not, I'm, every human being craves it. And we call, we, there's a name for a person who doesn't crave that connection. There's names for people that don't, want, that don't love other people. We call them psychopaths. Or sociopath. A psychopath or sociopath does not care about other people, does not want to be connected to other people. We recognize that if you don't want to be connected to somebody, there's something wrong. Okay? Now again, I'm not judging anybody here. I'm not here to condemn anybody or make anybody feel bad. But what I am here to do is to, to teach you, to help you understand that the thing that you need more than anything is to be connected to others. So what happens when you get connected? Something very beautiful happens. You begin to care for each other, and you, you get, you're, you're cared for. Think about the people who have made the biggest impact on your heart, on your life. And what is the common denominator between all these people that made a big impact on your life? They cared about you. They really and truly cared about your life. Now, I get people say to me sometimes, you know, I don't know about this church. You know, I feel like nobody cares about me. I feel like, you know, I, I tend to hear nobody, nobody says hello to me and nobody connects with me and nobody, nobody really wants to know how I'm doing and nobody calls me. And my, my response is this. Have you called anybody? Have you connected to anybody? Have you cared for anyone? You see, it's a two-way street. The body of Christ, friends, is not a place where you come to get. And I'm going to tell you that that pastors of this century, this past 50 years, I guess, have have, have done a great service to believers because we have trained a whole generation to believe that church is a place where you come to get something. This is not just a place where you come to get something. It's a place where you come to give. You come to share. You come to connect. You come to be vulnerable. You come to drop your mask. You come to make a difference in the life of somebody else. What kind of person are you? Are you a giver or a taker? I can tell you that once you get connected to a group where you are cared for, it's life-transforming. You will be able to advance and go much further in this life if you learn what it means to get into a group where you're cared for. Back when I was about 13 years old, there there were uh, walkathons. Has anybody ever been on a walkathon? Yes? No? Maybe? I don't know. Let me explain it. What you do is you go on a walkathon and you get people to sponsor you. And for every mile you're able to walk, they give you you so much money. So back then it's like, I'll give you five cents a mile. Woohoo, five cents. That tells you how old I am. But it was a 20 mile walkathon. Now, 20 miles, if, in case you don't know, is actually 32 kilometers, right? 
I think that's a rough, the rough calculation. 32 kilometers at 13 years of age. And I signed up to go on this walkathon at Calvary Temple. And we went to Birds Hill Park. And my older brother, my older sister were on the walkathon. And uh, you know, they both laughed at me, said, Oh, you'll never make it. You're too young. You know, you're too weak. You're too feeble. My, I had a you know, dysfunctional family, right? Uh, I'm so glad my sister goes to church here now, but she's not here right now, so I can say this. But, uh, you know, you'll never make it. It's not going to work. So I said, you know what? You wait and see. So I got on this walkathon, and I tell you, I walked the, you know, you go through the circle through Birds Hill Park. I walked through that twice, and folks, that's not 20 miles. Walked through it twice, and I'm ready to give up. But along came somebody. Uh, and I still remember her name. This coming from somebody who never remembers names. I remember faces, but I don't remember names. Her name is Judy Nishaw. And she said, hey, Alan, you can do it. Join our group. Now, folks, that was really kind of my first experience in a small group, and it was actually walking. She said, come and join our group. Well, we're, we're walking together. You can do it. You can make it. So I said, sure, I'll be glad to join your group. Of course, my older brother and older sister wanted nothing to do with me because, you know, I'm a younger brother. So they did their own thing. A few more circles around the, around the park, and I'm like, I'm ready to quit. And Judy and the rest of the group is saying, no, Alan, you can do it. Just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. And you want to know something? Through the support and the encouragement of that small walking group, I was actually able to complete the whole circuit. I was actually able to walk 20 miles, 32 kilometers. I got home from the walkathon. And I, my mom said, did you make it? I said, yes, I did. I walked all 20 miles. And I could see my brother and sister sitting there looking at me, not saying anything. And my mom said, oh, that's interesting, because Carrie and Kathleen didn't, weren't able to make the whole 20 miles. And I looked over at them, and of course, I had a great big smug <laughs> grin on my face. And I just basically said, ha. What's the difference? My brother, four years older than me, athletic, far stronger than me. He didn't make it. My sister, also very athletic. She didn't make it. And I, at age 13, was able to walk 32 kilometers. Did I mention it was 32 kilometers? <laughs> what, was, what, was, what made the difference? I had somebody who was willing to care for me. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart, because many of you are struggling through life, you're struggling with your marriage, with your kids. You're struggling with, at work. You're struggling with your health. There's all sorts of reasons why you're struggling. And God's saying to you, why are you struggling alone? It's not God's plan. It's not God's will for you to struggle all alone. God wants you to have people in your life who will help you, who will care for you, who will walk with you through your darkest valleys and celebrate with you when you celebrate. This is God's plan. It's fantastic. It's thrilling. And yet so many people never experience it. There's a fantastic Zambian um, proverb that says, when you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. I'm going to tell you, life is not a 50-meter yard dash. A 50-meter yard dash. That's good, eh? A 50-meter dash. Yeah, I'm just checking on you to see if you're with me. It's, it's not a sprint, people. 
For some of you, you say, you know, I've tried Christianity, tried the church, it doesn't work because you struggled, and then, you know, things didn't work out, and, and you just fell apart. Well, folks, there's a reason why you fall apart. There's a reason why you don't make it, and it's because you're trying to do it on your own. Making it on your own is not God's plan, and it doesn't, it doesn't prove to anybody that you're so spiritual that you can do it on your own. That's not God's plan. Even Jesus gathered around him 12 people to walk with him, to help him, to strengthen him, to help him achieve what it is that he wanted to achieve. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you better than Jesus? If even Jesus had to gather around 12 people to be his friend and to help him in his mission, don't you think that you need people in your life? For some of us, we go to our small group and it's just, it's just a Bible study where we go deep into the, the, the holy things and the mysteries of God. Well, if you do that, great. But please understand that the point of the small group is that you care for each other. A place where you can take your mask off, be vulnerable, and share with each other the things that you're going through. I'm going to tell you, that's pretty risky. It's hard to be vulnerable. I'm going to tell you this. A small group group is a safe place. A place where people will come alongside you and walk with you and help you. And in those moments when you need someone to come alongside you and care for you, the people in your small group are going to do that. They're the ones that are going to come alongside you and help you through whatever it is that you're going through. Some people say, you know, Pastor Alan, why didn't you come to the hospital? I was sick. Well, first of all, you didn't tell me you were sick. you got to tell me, and then I can be there. And if I can't be there, then I can send somebody in my place. But I'm going to tell you, it's, it's impossible now for me to, to be there to care for you know, all the 400 or more or 500 people that call this place home. I can't do it, but I can tell you this. We can take care of each other. That's the way it's supposed to be. So our church is not a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups. There's a big difference. It's not just one of the programs of the church that we think might be good for you to be part of. It's something that we really know you need to be part of. I'll tell you this, there's times when I will come to visit you in the hospital, but that will probably be when you're dying. And if I show up when you're in the hospital, you better be scared. <laughs> Rick Warren said that in his church, and he's, they, they're in Southern California, they 20,000 people or something. He said, when he goes to see somebody in the hospital, they're dying. And one day he went to visit one of his elders who was sick, and when he got there, his, elder had, his small group was there visiting with him. And as soon as his elders saw Rick Warren walk through the door, his face went white. <laughs> and, he, and he was terrified. And Rick said, what's wrong? He said to Rick, do you know something I don't know? <laughs> Am I going to die? So listen, folks. We care for one another. This idea of the pastor having to do it all, uh, actually, this is, this is some of the, the lasting vestiges of, of our Roman Catholic roots. Back some 500 years ago, there was a departure from Roman Catholicism. We call it Protestantism. What came along with us is uh, some of the things that the Roman Catholic Church does. And that's the idea that the pastor is like the priest and the priest is like God and, and the priest has to do everything. And if the priest is not involved in it, then, you know, that can't be valid. It can't be spiritual. It's not really of God. Can I tell everybody something today? I'm your brother. I'm, 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 I'm a believer like you're a believer. I'm a follower of Christ like you're a follower of Christ. The only thing that might, makes me different from you is the, the part that I play in this body. Look what it says here. 
Just as there are many parts to our body, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete. I'm just one part of the body. My job is to be your pastor. You say, well, I thought the priest had to do everything, do the baptisms, do the baby dedications, had to do the, the weddings, the marriages, the funerals, all the special events. When's the last time you heard a funeral called a special event? <laughs> Guess what, folks? That's a man-made. That's a man-made idea. It's definitely not scriptural. So what you and I need to understand is that we care for each other. And my prayer for you is just as good as the prayer of the person beside you. Now that comes as a shock, doesn't it? We need to understand that our job is to care for each other. It's not just the pastor's job to care for you, but we care for one another. Now, have you ever watched uh, the geese going south? I wish they would come back. When they head south, how do they fly? In what kind of a formation? A V. Now, do you know there's a reason why they fly in a V formation? It's because they were watching Sesame Street. And that's their favorite letter. <laughs> There's a reason why they fly in a V formation. And this is, what, this is what scientists have discovered, that when they fly in a V formation, it actually uh, reduces the, the drag. And I, I, don't, I don't pretend to be an expert on this sort of thing, but what they say is it creates a, a, an, an uplift in the backdraft and making it easier for them to fly further and to fly longer. Again, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. Because this is what God wants for you. Now, I know some of you are sitting here today thinking, man, you know, I'd like to get in a small group, but I'm nervous, and whose group should I be in? Here's what I would say to you. You should be in a group with people like you, people who, who, that you naturally connect with. And if you're not in a small group, talk to somebody who's kind of like you and at your place in life. So let me just... Close by this, with this third C. Remember, we talked about connecting. We talked about caring. We talked about change. Every one of us, if we were honest, would have to admit that there's room for change in us. If there's somebody here today who says, you know, Pastor, I'm perfect. I've got it all together. There's no need for change in my life. If there's anybody like that right now, I would like you to come up here, take the microphone, and finish the sermon. Because, obviously, you know something I don't know. The fact of the matter is, is every one of us needs to change. Every one of us has got issues in our life that we need to work on. Here's what it says in Proverbs. It says in Proverbs 27, 17, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. This is what a small group is all about. We're, we're helping each other to become better. Now, some of you who uh, know me know my personality type. I've got that, what you might call a type A personality. Or if you've done the disc profile, I'm a high D. Uh, driving, pushing, moving ahead. We're going to push ahead no matter what, and we're going to roll over everything that gets in the way. Well, you know, you can do that for a little while, but then people kind of like don't like it after a while. And in fact, people get downright angry and hostile. In fact, people will stop being your friend. And I can tell you what a shock it was when I first discovered this about myself. I had no idea. 
Because my intention is I just want to do great things for God. I want to change the world. I want to make the world a better place. I want to achieve great things and do great things and, and, and really honor God. And what a shock it was when I heard people say that, that I had hurt their feelings or had said something or that I didn't say something. What a shock. But you see what happened is I, I gathered around myself some really good friends, some, some of my peers, who started speaking into my life and telling me the truth about myself. Now, I'm going to tell you, it hurt. It really hurt. I did not want to hear that about myself. Why? Because I've got nothing but best intentions. I love everybody. I'll die for everybody. Nobody's working as hard as I am. Nobody puts the hours in that I put in. How dare anybody say or question my motives? Or, but folks, we're not talking about motives now. We're talking about how we come across and how people perceive us. When you get into a small group, folks, you, get, you, you start being challenged about how you interact with other people. There's a lot of people who married are married, they fight and they don't know why. And one spouse knows why he fights with his wife and why she fights with him, but they're too afraid to tell each other because they're afraid of speaking the truth in love. They're afraid what the reaction is going to be. I love my wife, my long-suffering wife. Did you hear me say long-suffering? We've been married 25 years this year. In fact, in February, we will have, we'll, in February, we will have been in this church for 20 years. And in August, we'll be married 25 years. Now, the wonderful thing is I have a wife that's willing to speak the truth to me. And I gathered around, we gathered around ourselves friends who were able and willing to speak the truth to us. And it transformed us, it changed us, it made us better people. I can tell you this, I thank God for that. But I want to ask you this question, do you have anybody in your life that can speak the truth to you and tell you what you're really like? There's nobody more deceived than the one who decides what he or she is really like. You don't know what you're really like. You ask for anonymous descriptions from your friends. Say, don't put your name to it, but just write down what you think I'm really like. And you're going to be in for a shock. Well, folks, listen to me. The thing that's going to make you a better man, a better woman, is if you enter into a group where you give people in that group permission to speak the truth to you in love. We call this transformation. We call it change. This is the beauty of the church. We don't just care for each other. We help each other change. We don't condemn. We don't judge. We just gently and lovingly say, hey, you know what? If you just change your tone a little bit, if you just change your words a little bit. You ever with people, you go for fellowship with them and they do all the talking. In fact, you're, you're trying to talk and they're talking right over you. And if you try to talk a little louder so you can be heard, they'll talk even louder. So that you, so that, and so what happens is that you're both talking at exactly the same time. How do you tell that person, hey, you know what? You're talking at the same time I'm talking. And I don't think that you're connecting and I don't think you're hearing me and I'm not hearing you. There's all sorts of things like this that you and I don't even know about ourselves. But if you asked others, they'd, they'd be quick to tell you. Are you willing for that change to take place in your life? Are you willing to give people permission 
to tell you what you need to hear so that you can become a better man, better woman, a better father, better mother, better wife, better husband. Folks, this is how life actually improves and becomes better for you and for me. When we're willing to take the risk of being changed, of being transformed. I'm going to say this to you in conclusion. If you're not in a relationship where you're getting connected, where you are being cared for and caring for others, if you're not in a relationship where you're being changed and challenged to change, then you are the ones that are making it possible for Dr. Phil to have a job. Anybody ever seen or heard Dr. Phil on TV? And what he does is he gets very dysfunctional people up before a studio audience and the whole nation, and in the humility, the humiliating circumstances that they're going through now is published for all to see, and it becomes entertainment. Folks, listen. Get into a relationship. Take that, take that very, very difficult step of entering into a relationship and watch the transformation that takes place in your life. I can tell you this this morning, that if you're not in a situation where you are prepared to change, pre- prepared to grow, folks, you're going to go on in your own little miserable life and never know the joy, the excitement, the thrill, the delight of connecting with others. We're going to go into communion, have communion, communion in just a moment. And here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to invite people just to come up and receive it. So this section will come down that side aisle, receive the elements, and then go and, and then go sit down again. And then this section will come through here and take it from here, and that section will go there. So you come up through there and then go around and sit down again. I invite you to, to pick it up and then just hold on to it for just a moment. If you, if you have got something against somebody, if you are holding a grudge, if you're angry about something, or if there's something in your heart or your life that's not right with God, then this morning what I'm going to ask you to do before you come and receive these elements is I'm going to ask you just to make your peace with God, to make things right with God. So in other words, you're going to pray and say, God, I forgive him, I forgive her. Maybe on your way to church this morning you had a massive fight with your spouse in the car. Uh, Why don't you just take a moment just to squeeze his hand or her hand, not too tightly, Let them know that you love them, that you care about them. And that'll be the sign. It's okay. We're good. But make sure that your heart is right. Because I'm going to tell you this. The celebration of communion is all about a celebration of our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And if there's anything that blocks the relationship with God and our relationship with each other, then folks, you need to understand. You need to understand that that this communion is not for you. It's only for those who put their faith in Christ. It's only for those who have got a right relationship with God and with others. So here's the thing. You can make it right right now, right where you are. I'm going to give you a moment to pray. I'm going to ask you, uh, if, if, if you don't want to take the communion, you don't feel right about it, then you don't need to come up and get it. Just stay where you are. It's no problem. Nobody's going to be watching. But it's, it's about you. It's about you and your walk with God. It's about celebrating our relationship to God and our relationship with each other because of Jesus Christ. So let's pray right now, and then we're going to begin. So, Father, we thank you right now for the relationships that you've called us to participate in. God, these relationships 
are transformational relationships. We experience the joy of connection. We experience the joy of caring for and being cared for others. Uh, we thank you, God, for the, the chain to transformation that takes place because we enter into these relationships. God, many of us don't even know what we're really like. We don't even realize that our personality is the reason why we get into fights and why we get into trouble. God, we want to change. We, we want to be transformed. We don't want to continue on the way we are. So, Father, as we, as we submit ourselves to you right now very, very humbly, and for some of us we're scared to, to do this, to make this step, but, God, we want to come to you and, and just allow you by your spirit to do a special work in our hearts to change us, to transform us. And so, God, we thank you right now for your love for us. We thank you right now for, uh, for transforming us and changing us through, your, through the body of Christ, through these small groups. And, Father, we, we pray now that as we examine our hearts, if there's any unforgiveness, if there's any grudges, if there's any resentment or bitterness, that we would confess that to you right now and be willing to pray a prayer of forgiveness, saying, I forgive him, I forgive her. If, we're, if our hearts are not right with you, God, we want to take a moment right now just to say, God, forgive me my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Thank you for the promise in your word that says if we confess our sins, you'll just do that. You will forgive us. You will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And uh, God, we, we thank you right now for what you're doing here. We pray that in your name. Amen.